0: feel welcome to move down close to the front. You don't have to sit in your ticketed seats for this portion of the evening. You'll have plenty of time to get up and readjust when we're finished. Uh, Welcome to everyone. I am Mary Wood for the San Francisco Ballet. It's a pleasure to welcome you all here to the War Memorial Opera House in San Francisco and to welcome you to this evening's Meet the Artist interview. This is Friday, January 29th, 2016. And as many of you know, these interviews and programs are recorded for podcasting on the company's website. So I encourage you to run to the website, listen to interviews that you enjoyed and want to hear again. Listen to the ones you want to catch that you missed. And of course, after this evening's conversation, I know you're going to want to go review this one. Um, It's my very great pleasure to be in conversation this evening with choreographer Liam Scarlett. Welcome and thank you, Liam. Just to get this over with, how many of you happen to have seen this piece on Wednesday night? So not very many, just a few. Oh, great. Oh, well, you have a treat in store. Um, It's an excitement for San Francisco Ballet to be on your list, I think I want to say. Um, Liam Scarlett is, as you can see, a young choreographer um, in the dance world. It's very exciting to have had as much success as you've had in a relatively short time. Um, Quick review of your biography. You trained at the very prestigious Royal Ballet School and then had a career as a dancer with the Royal Ballet. Uh, How many of you are familiar with the Tales of Beatrix Potter, choreographed by Frederick Ashton? It is in your bio that you actually performed Peter Rabbit.
1: I must admit, when I was dancing, I always seemed to be typecast as any animal or rodent or anything that had a fluffy tail. That was how I spent my um, my career, mainly in a mask, so no one actually knew it was me. Um, but I, I really cherished those roles. But you'll see tonight that somehow... Um, defer from the, the fluffy and the cute occasionally.
0: <laughs> oh, right. And there was a uh, reference in the program notes to fairies. I don't know if we can bring that in later. Yes. <laughs> later. Um, what has intrigued me in watching your work now for the last two years, um, you'll recall that we saw Hummingbird two years ago and then an encore of that last year, which was very popular here in the local audience. Um, You chose early on to make dances, and that has now your focus. And that's where I'd like us to start. Talk about why you love making dances.
1: I started uh, choreographing when I was at the school, uh, at the Royal Ballet School. We had an annual choreographic competition, which I participated in every year, And my first year, when I was 11 years old, I I think I got third prize, which I thought was amazing. And Norman Morris, ex-director of the Royal Ballet, came up to me afterwards. And being young and naive, I didn't know who he was at that point. And he said, I think you've got something here, continue. And it was something that I enjoyed. And when you're a child, you... You don't think about what's gonna be a career, you do what you enjoy. I think every dancer on the stage tonight will tell you that there was never a conscious decision to decide to become a classical dancer as a career. It's just something that we enjoy doing so much and we're very lucky to get on stage and do something that we love, and I mean passionately love as a job and get paid for. We are incredibly lucky. And so when I started to choreograph it, I felt that same passion. And all my way through school, I kept choreographing, and I got more and more opportunities. And when I got my contract with the Royal Ballet, Monica Mason, who was the director at the time, said to me, "Um, I will really help mentor and nurture you with your choreography as well. You have to uphold your dancing. And I must admit, I wasn't the most talented in my class. Um, in terms of technique. And I think one important thing about being a dancer is knowing your limitations and what you're capable of and where you fit in the hierarchy and the great kind of scheme of uh, a company. Um, And I really wanted to prove myself as a dancer and I must admit I worked my butt off (laughs) in that first year. And I think I achieved more than I ever thought I would, fluffy animals and other roles included. And then it got to a point where I was doing more and more pieces and international commissions were coming up, which were wonderful, but being a dancer is a full-time job. I mean, what these guys do and what you see them do is extraordinary. You see art and you see grace and you see beauty on stage and what goes into it the hours beforehand and the hours after and the preparation and the mental and physical dedication is... Tremendous! I have the utmost respect for anyone who, who does this. And being a dancer myself, I know what it's like. And choreographing at the same time, if there had been that 25th hour in the day, then maybe I would still be doing both. But um, it's always a, a tough decision to stop dancing. It's um, stop doing something that you love. Um, but luckily I got to replace it with something that I love just as equally and can probably, well, hopefully, do um, longer than I would have had a a dancing career because I can always shout and tell people what to do from sat in a chair.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it has a line, I think, in the program notes, but I also heard from dancers who perform in your piece that it was a particular challenge to them that you are still a very fit dancer so that you were able to demonstrate absolutely everything and demonstrate all the partnering and they felt that they had to rise to the challenge of being able to do what you could do. Um,
1: I have my I have my moments when I like to get up and then I have my moments when I sit back down and think I'm nearly gonna pass out. Um, yeah, I gave up dancing uh, when I was 26, so that's, pretty young um, and I gave up at a point where I loved it enough to stop and I didn't get into a a state where I resented what I had done Um, and so there's moments where I miss it just enough to get up and um, flail myself around in the studio and make a complete fool of myself Um, which I'm sure the dancers will tell you but you know it brightens up their day sometimes (laughs) Um, but it's also that thing of sometimes I'll ask a dancer to do something for me and They'll give me that look as if to say, not in a million years is that possible. So if I can get up and do it, then they have no excuse. (laughs) Um, Or I'll get up and attempt to do it and, again, make a complete fool of myself and then say, all right, you can have that one. That is not possible. I'll give you that. (laughs) Let's try something else. Um, But it also creates a sense of trust, I believe, that choreographing is a very vulnerable thing. You open yourself up and you are very susceptible to everyone's critique. Anyone who puts a piece of artwork out for an audience or anyone to view is going to be subject to opinion and that is absolutely fine. Everyone is entitled to their opinion and it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone should like what I do but if I generate discussion or I provoke some sort of thought then then I'm happy with what I do and in the studio in order to create that environment you need the most kind of um, incredible level of trust and honesty and I feel if I can get on a level with my dancers as people um, then then I feel I can create whatever I want because everyone is on board and there's a very safe environment in the studio to be able to fall on your face and not worry about people laughing at you um maybe they do behind my back but um it's it's just that thing of i don't want to sit in the front and impose stuff on them or tell them what i want to do i want to be part of this creation and i want them to be part of it so it's a conversation and it is it's it's everyone getting involved so if i have to get up there and um sweat and make it a, make a fool of myself running around, then I'm more than happy to do that because the end result of what the dancers give me when I hand it over to them op- on opening night, which for me is terrifying, um, they trust me and I trust them. And it's a really, really beautiful feeling.
0: I want to ask you about your inspiration. I get a sense that you would say dancers are an inspiration to you. But other than that, how you have a, a very long body of work already and it it seems to include both narrative story ballets, full lengths and abstract and unusual pieces. You've done a work for a contemporary company so um, from whence comes inspiration to do all these different things. Um,
1: I must admit I'm a a bit of a workaholic, I will admit that, but I, I thrive off pieces and I enjoy doing different things. Uh, So whatever I've finished up before, I will try and do something entirely different for the next piece. Um, So for instance, here, I was very aware of Hummingbird, which was um, personally one of my favorite pieces that I've done. Um, And I was very aware that comparisons will be made inevitably when I come back, or so many people said, oh, we loved Hummingbird so much, What, what are you gonna do now? And I thought, well, I can't just do Hummingbird 2, um, however nice that might have been. Um, so I wanted to do something very, very different, which is what you will hopefully get tonight. It, it should retain the essence of what I believe in aesthetically, but it is very different. And the approach that we took in terms of choreographing it was different. I like to challenge myself, I don't want to become a a one-trick pony and uh, I realized that there will be things that are better and worse but that's all part of learning as an artist. You brought up fairies. Um, Just before uh, I came to San Francisco in August to create the piece, I had the three-week creation period before I came back in the premiere and I was in New Zealand doing a new production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. And I'd spent eight weeks there with fairies and dancing donkeys and mistaken love potion, falling in love people. And I came here and I thought, I don't want to hear a single piece of classical music right now. I don't want to see a glittery wing. I don't want to see any fairy crowns or any donkeys. Um, And that's kind of where Fearful Symmetries came up. It's just, I like to kind of dart around because it keeps my, um, my creative flow alive hopefully.
0: This may be a good segue into actually talking a little bit more about this specific piece but I want to know how you scan the world uh, how you choose music and that could lead into telling us how you selected fearful symmetries.
1: Music it's, it's terrible finding music um, I use music as my kind of basic inspiration I feed off it I think I always have as a child it was one of the reasons why I started dancing the music and rhythm and when you feel it infiltrate your body and it just runs through your veins every person has an understanding of music and rhythm you find yourself tapping your foot occasionally to something that you like without even realising it and that's what i do is basically just an extension of that there's a few more taps and you add in some arms and then it's a piece Um, (laughs) (laughs) it's just getting them in the right order um as any uh novel writer with words it's all your tools are there um but finding music is is tough Um, i have a huge back catalog of a, a wish list of things to do composers that I want to kind of delve into, but it's also the the right place and the right time, and as you were saying, the right group of dancers to be able to do something for. Um, John Adams, I'm very familiar with his work, uh, as, as the rest of the world probably is. He's such a wonderful, prolific American composer, um, and it was wonderful because he was here on Wednesday, and um, I did get a little awestruck with that. Um, and hopefully I did his piece his piece justice um, <clears throat> but fearful symmetries is a is a huge piece it is it's bombastic it is turbulent it's thriving it's pulsating it has everything and it is a orchestral challenge and one that Martin West and the orchestra have really stood up to and enjoyed and in the studio as well we've We've loved working with it. It's, it is really a challenge. Um, I can imagine the comparison might be um, to Stravinsky's Rite of Spring. When that, that came, it's the same kind of score where you get to the end of it and you feel a sense of accomplishment. I always enjoyed those pieces as a dancer when the curtain came down and regardless of what the audience felt, that you felt as a group you had achieved something because you've, you've tackled a, a beast as such. Um, I shouldn't call John Adams' work a beast, uh, but it—it it is. It's just—it's—and I've—I've said it's fiendishly difficult, but it's—it's it's a challenge and a good one. So um, we hopefully tackled it well.
0: Well, and it—a um, a choreographer, a successful one, I think, can realize the music in movement, and that was a beast. And so what we look at is pretty energetic. I don't know if I can come up with another word at the moment. Um, Talk about your movement vocabulary and how you honed in on what you did for Um, this.
1: So I am a classically trained dancer. My background, my heritage, and my roots are in ballet. That will never leave me, and I would never want it to. Um, I think, you know, in order to branch out into different places, you have to have a very good understanding of where your your heart is and where that heritage lies. Um, So this piece, uh, for instance, the women aren't on point, Um, I wanted a very equal playing field between men and women so that certain moments can become very ambiguous and there's no gender-specific... Um, roles as such. There are times when they do, but there are also um, challenges that occur from taking away a point shoe, Um, and I think the women kind of rose up to that challenge as well. And it also gives a, a grounded sense. It's a lot heavier, it's a lot earthier, and when you listen to the percussion section in the orchestra, night, I mean, they they go hell for leather. It's, it's wonderful. And I told the dancers on the first orchestral call, um, when they listened to the orchestra for the first time, I said to them, I was like, you have to let this seep through your skin and penetrate you as much as you can and let it flow through you because everything that you need is in that score. And if you allow the depth and the heaviness of it to... Fill you up, then hopefully the steps that I've created and the language that we kind of brought together in the studio will make sense.
0: Um, I was speaking with Lorena Fejo the other night, and she made the, the she drew the um, image that without wearing point shoes, she felt like her feet came became more like hands, and that they were more tactile throughout the work of the piece. I thought that was a lovely way of describing some of the earthiness of it.
1: Yeah, it, I mean, we definitely went for a more um, primal, primitive, animalistic approach. And uh, the absence of a you know a hefty block on the end of your shoe, uh, foot <laughs> definitely helps with that. And just the idea of being very supple and dexterous with everything, um, I think has lent itself to it. And I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this, but it's a very um, sexy piece of music, which um, we tried to put in into the piece. So um,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, for those of you who came in late, I will just bring you up to date. Um, I am speaking with choreographer Liam Scarlett. We're talking about his piece, Fearful Symmetries, that premiered on Wednesday. and. Um, One of the things that I think I heard is that we will be treated to a second cast, or some of a second cast tonight, which is really exciting. I also want to remind you that we are going to try to allow time for you all to ask questions. So be thinking of what you might want to ask. But um, I have one more question specifically for you about the piece. Talk about how you um, interact with, coordinate with your production team. I remember the set piece for Hummingbird was different and fun and uh, couldn't imagine what we were going to be treated to when the curtain went up and wow. So talk about how you work with design.
1: Um, so my lighting designer for Fearful Symmetries is David Finn, who I've worked with several times before and was the lighting designer uh, for Hummingbird as well. Uh, my costume designer is John Morrell, who I'd never worked with before. I'm very, very familiar with his um, work, but this was our first collaboration, and it was a true joy and an honor. Um, I always knew that we wouldn't have a set for this piece, so David did the wonderful thing of creating a set with lights. He has the power to generate a world by switching on one light, two lights and the most important thing is that he is very aware of how important darkness is just as much as light, that the opposites have to coincide together and you'll see that it, he's he's generated a, a world as such where you forget hopefully that it's a stage um, and the dancers kind of inhibit this and move the light around with them and definitely react when we were doing our um, teching days he must have got incredibly annoyed with me because I wanted the lights to be choreographed just as much as the dancers so everything worked in complete harmonious unison um, so it's, it's it's sculptural and it's um, bombastic and very uh, fun I think
0: not sure I would have said fun, but I get to see it again tonight. We'll see. Um, let's. Are you ready for some questions yeah. from the audience? Have you thought of things you'd like to know? Yes, sir. That was two questions. Um, Let me repeat the question. Um, Actually, great question. I talked about uh, having seen you in the World Ballet Day. How many of you got to watch World Ballet Day? It was an amazing, exciting thing. Um, And he's reflecting on some things that your work reminded him of, and so he was asking who has influenced you as a choreographer and then the second question, and I'm not sure if we will have, well we'll try, was where are you going from here? But that was going to be one of my questions too, so... <laughs>
1: um, Go for it. My inspirations kind of come from various places. Some, some have nothing to do with the classical world of dance. Uh, being brought up in the Royal Ballet, Ashton, Frederick Ashton, has um, played a huge amount. Uh, his musicality, his, his dexterity, and his um, sensitivity to music is always outstanding to me, no matter what that is. Uh, Jerome Robbins is also a huge inspiration for me. His work that he did within the classical world and his work that he did on Broadway and in theatre um, is exemplary. Yuri um, Killian is also another one. The way he the way he works with Pardada de and the fluid nature in which two bodies can work in complete harmony continues to spell by me every, one, every time I watch one of his pieces. Um, in regards to where I go in the future, um, it's very daunting, um, I consider myself very lucky to be where I am and what I'm doing and any company that will have me, I am more than willing to go because I thrive off working with the international stars that I get to work with. I am the luckiest guy to be here right
0: now. We'll go with the question right there. I just
1: wondering if you mentioned
0: that you won the third prize when you were 11. How is the very beginning when you were just starting to create a ballet, how is it different now than it was after that? Fantastic question. How is choreographing now different from that time when you were 11 and won the th- the third place prize?
1: Well, when I was 11, I had a group of seven of my friends uh, after school in a studio, and it was an excuse just to <laughs> have a catch-up, really, um, and do a piece. And again, I think my my approach hasn't changed at all. Um, there's still that maybe naive 11-year-old in there somewhere, and I really hope there is. I think um, every one of us has that childhood quality and something that you love you recall from the first time you ever did it just to get that sense of thrill and the 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 visceral feeling that you get when you 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 kind of come into ecstasy as such and that's what I still hope to do but there's a bit more pressure now
0: (laughs) I'm going to take this one The question is about um, collaborations outside the ballet world and particularly technology and innovation and that's going to have to be our last question, but um, um, interesting, really interesting.
1: Yes, nice to hear a fellow Brit. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, there's some things in the pipeline, sadly I can't talk about them right now. Um, Theatre is my home, ballet is my home, as I said I will never uh, disregard my heritage, but there are stuff or things that I would like to do outside in in terms of film work. Um, And I think the world of dance right now is so susceptible and so wonderful and it's being opened up to a whole new different audience. Um, And it's kind of great to ride that wave as much as possible. And in terms of technology, I think it's inevitable that everyone in every aspect of art form, genre, whatever work field you happen to be in, is that um, technology will kind of... Infiltrate somehow, but as long as we retain the essence of what art is, and it shouldn't be overtaken by technology either, then it should amplify, coexist, and uh, generate new forms as opposed to overpower.
0: I want to be a little bit selfish and take the last question, and that is seizing the fact that I'm actually in conversation with you personally. And that probably won't happen until next year when you return. Mm. We're excited about that. And what are you going to be doing when you return next year? This is so fascinating.
1: Um, So I told you I like to um, do different things every time. (laughs) Uh, So next year, San Francisco Ballet are co-producing with the Royal Ballet a full-length version of Frankenstein, which I will be... Choreographing with a new commissioned score by Lowell Lieberman, um, a brilliant American composer, um, and designs by John McFarlane and lighting by David Finn. Um, so, next year we'll be premiering that here, and um, I really can't wait. It was when we were talking about co producing, I said that there would be no other company apart from San Francisco that I would work with on this because the dancers here are world-class and i wouldn't dream of doing it for any other company apart from this so um please come
0: (laughs) i think we can promise you that Well, we have arrived at the end of our time and i want to reiterate that it's been an absolute pleasure to be in conversation with Liam Scarlett choreographer for Fearful Symmetries which will conclude this evening's program and i guarantee you will you will leave the theater a little bit breathless good <laughs> um, thank you so much Liam what My pleasure. a treat it's thank been. you enjoy the theater.